Meet Steve. Steve likes Lego. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing with Legos, but let's learn something today. Just for right now, let's say that Legos are sin. All people are born as slaves to sin. It's just human nature. Even when we try to do something good, our motivation is bad and it becomes not good. See, before Jesus, we all have to sin. Before Jesus, Steve must sin. We'll illustrate that with this. Actually, maybe a better illustration is this. Steve has no choice. He's chained to his sin. He must do the Lego. But when Steve accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he became a Christian, and God forgave him of his sins. From that moment on, the, the chains, or in this case, the tape, that held Steve to his sins were broken. Feel better? Good. I guess we learned something. Steve, you don't you don't have to do that anymore. We already, we already learned our thing for this morning. You don't, you, the tape was broke. You, see, here's the problem. We like to pretend that our involvement with sin ended when Christ broke that chain, but in reality it didn't because we're still tempted to sin. We still like it. We still want to play with the Lego. You see, while some sins are more respectable than others, sin is still sin. Thank you to Steve and Minnie Phil for a great start to our series. Let me ask you, have you ever said, it's not a big deal, not hurting anybody, Everybody's doing it. I think that's a common mechanism for us to deal with our little sins. The next nine weeks, we're going to look at sins that we think aren't a big deal, sins that we consider to be little, and they're actually maybe a pretty big deal. And the first one that we cover today is maybe the favorite Christian respectable sin. In fact, we do this one often even together, and we laugh about it before, during, and after. What are we talking about? Okay, I'm going to put a lot of scriptures on the screen today. I'm going to start by putting one up here, and in this scripture, we're going to find our respectable sin, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. Ezekiel 
16, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Anyone ready for some fun? Has anyone ever heard of Sodom before? Sodom was destroyed in the same day by this fire and brimstone event from heaven, along with what other city? Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think all of us are very aware of like the big sin that Sodom was destroyed for. We've named that sin after Sodom. It's called sodomy. But did you know that there was a list of other sins that was responsible for their destruction? Anyone see any respectable sins in this list? Okay, how about this one? One of our pastors said this last week. He said, I have never in my life heard a sermon or message on gluttony. And I've quickly come to realize that I think I'm a glutton for punishment for tackling this. Let me define for you gluttony. It comes from the Latin word to gulp down or swallow, which is simply another way of saying to overindulge or overconsume. Have you ever opened that bag of chips and just started eating mindlessly while you're reading something or watching something and, and, and next thing you know, you look at the bag of chips and the thing's half gone. Some of you are like, half gone? I don't look till it's all gone. And you wonder, what happened? Where did it go? I, I think uh, Pringles actually was very honest. They gave us a fair warning. Once you pop, you can't, you can't stop. Lay's worded it like this. They say, bet you can't eat. They're right, aren't they? Bet you can't eat just one. So for you, you're like, okay, maybe it's not chips. For me, it's candy. Where did that bag of candy go? That was supposed to be the share size, and I didn't share with anybody. And that thing's gone. Or maybe it's the tray of cookies, right? Where did that tray of cookies go? Kids had to have eaten that, right? So we kind of laugh at it. It's not a big deal. All of us do it. But what if this actually was a big deal? Do you realize that gluttony is a sin? It's a sin that disrespects the body because our bodies can't handle overconsumption, excess, and it disrespects society because there are people with needs in society. And when we overconsume, we steal from them. Pope Gregory I actually included gluttony in his famous list of seven deadly sins from which all other vices come. So you may be wondering, Justin, what a joy kill. Why do you have to tackle this sin on this weekend? When a few hours from now, we're going to be around a cookout gorging ourselves on cookout food. So I, I, it's true. I, like, I probably could have saved this for, I don't know, Thanksgiving week or something. <laughs> but I, I guess ultimately there's just never a respectable time to talk about respectable sins. What's funny 
is in our mind, gluttony isn't that big of a deal. Now, it's a little horrifying to see it on the list of Sodom's sins. It's not that big of a deal. But when you begin to study it, and, and I've been, I've really had my eyes open as I've studied this out. I've been fascinated. Gluttony is actually more than just a little sin. It was actually behind the very first sin. When the first human beings indulged in food they shouldn't have eaten, our world broke. And our pain, suffering, disease, and death that we live with every day, the curse, is a result of people whose diet wasn't under control. That forbidden food just looked good. They listened to Satan whispering in their ears. Not a big deal. They took some and they ate. Now, it's funny. We've all done it. We've all had those guilty pleasures. And we laugh about it. But our laughter identifies us more with Adam and Eve than I think we'd like to admit. In fact, I think most of us have the same best friend. Her name is Little Debbie. Have you noticed there's not much little about Little Debbie? I mean, even her boxes are seeming to get bigger. And of course, some of them will say share size, and none of us are sharing these things. But Little Debbie is our best friend because she makes the ultimate indulgent snack. And, and, you know, we, we laugh about it, we enjoy it, we, we pig out on it, but, but what if little Debbie and her friends are helping us overindulge and do something that's actually breaking God's heart and ruining our bodies? Now, in Scripture, gluttony is often paired with another respectable sin, and that would be laziness. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And it's often paired with that because it's, it's this idea with gluttony that gluttony, like laziness, just kind of means doing what feels right in the moment without any regard for the outcome or the consequence. You just kind of go with the flow. You just do, you just do kind of what feels good in the moment. It's the way that I think a lot of us live and eat and spend. And the challenge with this is we live in an indulgent nation. We love to binge. Many of us binge on far more than food. We binge on drinks, we binge on social media, Netflix, sports, travel, and the list goes on and on. And ultimately, this series that we're tackling and starting today is kind of a step-on-your-toes series where we're going to look at what God actually says about sins. And we're not going to talk about the big bad ones, lying Oh, wait, that's not a big bad one. Killing, stealing, and adultery. We're going to talk about the little ones, the ones that seem like they're not that big of a deal. And gluttony is one of those. I, I think the challenge with gluttony is it just it seems kind of harmless, like I'm not hurting anybody. And not only that, but yeah, sure. I, I push away from the Thanksgiving table a little too late, usually. And the holiday... The holiday table, yeah, I go up a couple too many times. But I, I can stop anytime I want. Says every addict everywhere. 
The, the crazy thing about gluttony is that it is a known killer. Overindulgence has become an American epidemic. I don't have to tell you stats, but I'll give you a, just, just a couple. One of the stats is that over 70% of American adults are now either overweight or obese. And that number's rising. Overconsumption is the hidden culprit behind many of our main causes of disease and disability. Type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, many cancers, and the list goes on. An enormous amount of our healthcare spending is due to our overconsumption. We are literally eating ourselves to death. And we've made a sport out of it. And it's, it's not just a matter of it being unhealthy or unwise, it's actually sinful. And yet, what's funny, and kind of not funny, is that we as Christians and as a church, we wink at it and we laugh at it and we think it's not a big deal. And then you read the list of Sodom's sins and you realize gluttony was one of the sins that they were destroyed for. So, so, so let me take something off the table or put something on the table right now. I want you to hear me clearly this, this morning. This is not a message about weight. This is a message about gluttony. Some of the skinniest people I know are some of the biggest gluttons, myself included. So, so, so the issue is not the diet. The issue is the overindulgence. It's not what I'm eating, thankfully. It's that I'm eating more than I need. I remember at one point my folks were on a diet, and it was a pretty popular diet that was pretty unique. And the diet went like this. You can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Some of you are like, I'm on that diet now. It's the seafood diet. I see it. I eat it. Okay, there was one caveat that made this diet successful. And the one caveat was this. When your body says enough, you need to obey it. In other words, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. You simply have to stop when you're full. You've got to learn to listen to your body. There were no calorie counts. There were no weigh-ins. There were no forbidden foods. There were no exercise res- regimens. The, the premise of the diet was simple. Stop eating when you're full and don't eat when you're not hungry. My grandpa loved to say, just because you're not hungry is no reason not to eat. But this diet was just, it wasn't about depriving your body. It wasn't about ignoring your cravings. It was about one thing, moderation. Stopping the excess. It was an anti-gluttony diet. And the craziest thing happened to people that went on this diet. The craziest thing happened. Their eating habits shifted. They lost a tremendous amount of weight. And they got really healthy. So what's funny is there was no secret sauce to the diet. It was just stop when you're full. That should be obvious, but they sold over a million books. And it became a fad. So so God doesn't want us to avoid gluttony 
because he wants to rob us of the joy of eating food. What he wants to do is to stop us from overindulging. Because when we overindulge, there's a price to pay. It's when we eat too much or drink too much that we feel lousy, we gain weight, we battle diet-related health issues, and most importantly, we offend the God who gave us food. If Adam and Eve, think about this, if Adam and Eve had just had self-control with their diet, they'd still be in Eden. Now, gluttony is not, in our minds, a big deal, but, but, rebellion against God is always a big deal. Some of you are thinking, okay, Justin, I don't overeat because I want to rebel against God. I just love the taste of food. And some of you are like, actually, for me, it's not even the taste. I just, I'm an anxious eater, and food's a comfort to me. The reasons for our overindulgent, our overindulgent lifestyle, don't matter a whole lot. What matters is that every time I overindulge, I'm rebelling against God. And I'm, I'm breaking his heart and I'm, I'm hurting my body. Do you realize, and this is going to sound crazy to you, that Jesus died for gluttons? Or, or maybe more specifically, Jesus died because of gluttony. Now you might be thinking that's a little over the top. That's a little excessive. But if gluttony is genuinely a sin, as Scripture's teaching us, it's a sin that put Jesus on the cross. And what's ironic is that we're often shocked when we hear of other people's sins, especially when you hear of an athlete or a politician who's fallen into a moral sin. We respond like, oh, what a scandal. Right? And we're shocked and we're horrified and we talked about it. Can you believe what our governor did? Can you believe what this athlete did? Can you believe it? And yet we're the same people who are overindulging our own desires privately and even publicly and we're laughing about it. It's no wonder people look at the church and say it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Now, when people say the church is filled with hypocrites, I want you to know they're wrong. There's always room for one more. Because by nature, at some level, all of us are hypocrites. We're more offended by the sin in others than the sins in ourselves. And a prayer that I've tried praying that's a scary prayer to pray is, God, help me to hate the sin in Justin more than I hate the sin in others. Help me to hate the sin in me more than I hate the sin in you. Because I realize that I'm supposed to represent Jesus 24-7. And when I choose to overindulge my desires, when I'm snacking, when I'm eating a meal, when I'm drinking, I'm poorly representing Jesus. When I was a kid, there used to be this phrase that everybody had on their wrists or on jewelry, and it was this, the initials were WWJD. And it stood for, what would Jesus do? Many of you remember that. So the question when it comes to this issue becomes, what did Jesus do? 
And it's fascinating when you ask that question because here's what Jesus do, did when it came to food. Before he began his public ministry, he took 40 days off of food to prepare. How's that? 40 days off from food to prepare. And after he did his extended fast, here's what happened. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, read the yellow with me, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. For 40 days before Jesus went public, he said no to his desires and no to his body, and he said yes to his father. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I think I'm going to start today. I'm going to go 40 days. Let's see how this goes. Jesus mastered his physical desires, and you know what happened? Satan showed up at the end of the 40 days to tempt him, and Satan's temptations had no sway for Jesus. And here's what is hard for us to understand. Satan doesn't tempt us in a vacuum. Satan is pushing on our desires, and that's why he's so good with his temptations. He knew exactly what Adam and Eve were desiring with that one forbidden fruit, and and he enticed them because he knew that's what they desired. Jesus' brother James put it this way, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so Satan is constantly tapping our desires to trip us with temptation. And if we weren't so quick to indulge in our desires, if we weren't living at the urge of our lusts or our whims or our indulgent desires, we may be shocked at how little control Satan's temptations have over us. But you might be thinking, okay, Justin, Jesus was, wasn't he like God's son or something? Wasn't he God in flesh? You don't really expect me to be like him, do you? Well, if you call yourself a Christian, you're literally calling yourself a little Christ. That's what Christian means. You're a little Christ. And so, yeah, like if you are a Jesus follower, then yeah, you should follow Jesus even in areas that don't seem like a big deal. And it's even in these areas that don't seem like a big deal that you're like, okay, I don't know that I can follow Jesus. I don't know if Jesus understands like how hard this is for me. Actually, you'd be wrong about that. This is talking about Jesus. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Let me ask you, when Jesus went 40 days without food, do you think he got hungry? I don't know this for sure, but I think he probably even got hangry. He was tempted in every way, even in this area, just like us. He had a human body with human desires, human urges. And yet he didn't give in. So so when I'm tempted to go up for another helping at the buffet, because i got to get my money's worth, Or when I'm tempted this afternoon to go up to that holiday food table again, and I will be, maybe Jesus should be on my mind. Maybe I should be asking, am I following Jesus in the decision I'm making right now with this meal? Am I following Jesus with the decision I'm making right now with this snack? 
I mean, there's only 12 sandwiches in here. Come on. Maybe I could just have 11. Am I, am I following Jesus with, with how I eat this dessert? Because it seems like no big deal. It seems like everybody's doing it. But what if that is actually Satan's voice in our heads? And what if he's making a dangerous sin look respectable? What if he's showing us a really cute kitten? And in reality, it's a dangerous lion. Now, now maybe you're saying this morning, Justin, <laughs> you have no idea but I have a lot bigger problems than the amount of food I eat. And, and that may be true, but here's what I want to say. Don't let your mind disrespect your body. I, I think we can often get away with this respectable sin because we feel like it's not a big deal. My body's just a container for my soul. And one day it's going to get be buried, it's going to be cremated, whatever the case may be, and I'm not taking this body with me to heaven. First of all, you don't understand the truth about your body because that's not true. 1 Corinthians 15 disproves that. Secondly, your body isn't just a container for your soul that can be trashed someday. Let me prove it to you, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. In, in ancient Israel, when God gave requirements for his temple to be built, he was so specific that he even told them the shape and the size and the color of the curtains God was incredibly specific. If you ever read the details of the temple, construction and design, God was involved right down to the color of the materials. But there is no temple in Jerusalem today, is there? Because God decided that he was no longer going to live in a physical building. He was going to live in his people. And so today... God wants us to care for our bodies like he lives there because he does. Caring for your body is not about impressing other people. Caring for your body is not even about feeling good about yourself. Caring for your body and rejecting gluttony is about honoring the king who resides within In our, in our book, Respectable Sins, that we're recommending and we're asking if you want to dig deeper or do a discussion, get this book. In the, the chapter that goes with today's message, Jerry Bridges tackles three common areas when it comes to overindulgence. Food is just one of them. He talks about our appetites, food, and lust, and our cravings and desires, our, our temptations there. But he also talks about overindulgence in two other areas. He says we tend to overindulge when it comes to our temper. And other people tend to overindulge. Maybe they struggle with their finances. So for you, maybe you're feeling good this morning. Like, yeah, I've got my diet under control. But let me just ask you, how do you do with your temper? Or, or how do you do with your finances? Because they're, they're, they're cousins. They're, 
their siblings. And they all go back to the same root issue, which is overindulgence. And here's what I've noticed about overindulgence, and I just wonder if any of you or any of our Bainbridge or Cincy folks or online folks would agree. Has anyone else experienced that the more you try not to overindulge, the more you fail? Has anyone else experienced this, or is it just me? The, the more you try, the more you fail. And, and you might think, I just need to be a more disciplined person. Do you realize that even the most disciplined people in the world, like athletes, like Olympic athletes, have areas of their life that are out of control, where they overindulge? The big scandal this past week was an Olympic gold hopeful runner who was disqualified for what? Smoking weed. And it was this scandal, but she overindulged. And she gave an explanation. She was mourning her mom's death, and she knew she shouldn't have done it, but she just she couldn't help it. And now she won't be running in Tokyo representing our country. Now, I've, got, I've had a lot of bad news for you. I'll give you a little bit of good news. Overindulgence can be cured. Anyone glad about that? You don't look very happy. <laughs> Overindulgence can be cured. There's no magic pill or, or new program that can fix it, but God has the antidote. Ready for the antidote? Here it is. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and drum roll, please say it with me. Self-control. God has the antidote. Now, every week as we look at one of the nine respectable sins, we're going to look to this list and find the antidote. Today, we find the antidote to gluttony is one of these evidences of the Spirit in our lives. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, you may say, what is self-control? Jerry Bridges, our author that we talk about, defines it this way. It's governance or prudent control of one's desires, cravings, impulses, emotions, and passions. When you are filled with God's spirit, he's producing something in you called self-control. And self-control, let me clear this up right now, does not mean controlling yourself. That doesn't work very good. Self-control means that yourself is under control. But it's not your control, it's God's control. Let me, let me word it this way. This is not about willpower. It's about God's power. Many of us have tried to eat better, get angry slower, and spend less. But our stinking willpower just keeps giving out. And it doesn't go on long enough for real change. Yeah, we go on diets. Yeah, we take anger management classes. Yeah, we create a new budget. But over time we slip back to our unhealthy habits. We eat too much, we spend too much, we get angry too quickly. We want to become better people. And the tendency with respectable sins is always the same. The tendency is always this, just do better. 
try harder. And maybe that's what you expected as we talked about gluttony today. Just, just try harder. Just eat less. Just eat healthier. Just listen to your body. Just do better. But all of us have tried that. All of us have tried that. And as much as we want to do better, we keep failing because we're basing it on our willpower. And our willpower isn't usually stronger than our desires. For me, I'm telling you, I want that bag of candy more today than I care about my health and energy and teeth in 10 years. That's just me. I want it now, and I feel like I should have it now. And the reality is, just like Steve with the Legos, I can't do better. And neither can you. So we don't need to try harder. We need to surrender. Now, that's a strange concept. You're saying when it comes to gluttony, when it comes to overconsuming stuff, it's not a matter of me just putting my foot down. No, because it won't last. You know that. It's a matter of you surrendering. It's a matter of me giving up control. The, the scripture puts it this way in Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature... What's that word? Anybody else get cravings? Oh. I have never craved spinach in my life. <laughs> but I sure crave little Debbie. I sure crave Skittles. I sure crave a lot of things. And when I crave them, I'm enticed to not just indulge on them, but to overindulge. Not just consume them, but overconsume them. And at the end of the day, gluttony is not a willpower issue. Gluttony is a deficiency of God's spirit. Check this out. Proverbs 25. A person without self-control, that's the antidote, God's spirit producing self-control. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, when this was written, a city would have walls to defend itself. They didn't have air forces back then. It was land troops. The only way you'd protect your city is with a wall. So walls were very important. But if your walls were broken down in your city, it was like inviting the enemy, yeah, just come take us over. And so the author's saying, listen, if you lack self-control, you're like a city with broken down walls. You are easily conquered. The irony of this proverb is the name of the author. Who wrote this thing? Does anyone know? Solomon. You want a case study for this verse? It's Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man alive. Literally the wisest man alive in his day. He knew all the right things to do. The problem was, he just wouldn't do it. Early in his life, when he was doing it, when he was living with self-control, he had a phenomenal life. He had a phenomenal marriage, and he had a phenomenal romance. He penned the love story, the romance book in Scripture, Song of Solomon, also known as Song of Songs. It's like the ultimate song. The romance book was written by this guy. He enjoyed his relationship with his wife, he enjoyed the fruits of living with self-control and all the pleasures that come with that. But as he got towards middle age, he, he started to slip. 
And he began accumulating women. He began accumulating weapons. And he began walking down a path of overindulging. Now, he stopped at middle age, and he wrote this book of wisdom for his sons before he went on the steep slide that happened late middle age and later in life. And by the end of his life, by the end of his life, he had amassed a thousand women, talk about overindulgence, and thousands of weapons. His self-control was gone. He had attempted to live his life by pursuing his urges. And he overindulged. And he found out something. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And so at the end of his life, he sits down and he, and he journals very transparently about what he's learned. And he writes this about those who want to follow his path of overindulgence. He's like, listen, if you want to follow your urges, you want to follow your desires, you want to give in to your cravings, just know you're following my path. And here's what I want to tell you. Young people, he talks specifically to young people. It's wonderful to be young. Can any older people say amen to that? <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to be young. You have no idea how good it is. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. You didn't know that was in the Bible, but it is. But he adds this caveat, but, but, it's like my parents' diet, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. He looks back with regret, and he realizes he has this eureka moment that the very things he overconsumed were gifts from God that were meant to be enjoyed in moderation. Here's one of his eureka moments earlier in his journal. He said, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. Can I get an amen? To enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Don't think that we're talking about food being evil. It's not. It's good, and it's delicious, most of it. <laughs> Solomon realizes that when he began pursuing these small pleasures, food, drink, relationships, they no longer brought him joy. Early in his life, when he did them in moderation, they brought him great joy. When he overindulged, when he overconsumed, they brought him nothing but heartache and regret. It was like drinking salt water in a desert. The more he drank, the thirstier he became. And he realized the truth. When God is first, everything else gets put in its proper place. Colossians 3.2 puts it this way. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Put your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Food is a gift given by God for us to enjoy. But it's always to be enjoyed in moderation. Paul the Apostle wants us to know that if there's people telling you that you shouldn't eat a certain type of food, you can ignore them. Some of you who are meat lovers are really glad for that. 
Look at what Paul says. They will say, these false teachers, it's wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Some of you are thinking, Justin, I don't think God created candy. God graciously let really smart people invent candy. And they're to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. But look at this. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Food and drinks are gifts from God to be enjoyed in moderation. And no matter why we overindulge, we need to know that we can find fulfillment and satisfaction in something far better than food or drink. And God wants to be that something better. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, you and I know this isn't talking about physical appetite. But Jesus is saying, if you, if you set me as the object of your pursuit and passions, I will fulfill your deepest desires. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Look at what the psalmist says. Taste and see that the steak is good. Now taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. What if we talked about God like we talked about food? That'd be different, wouldn't it? Man, I just can't get enough of God. Man, I want me another big plate of God. Man, I want to spend some more time with God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Let me read for you a scripture that I think fits exactly with what we've talked about this morning. It says this, join together in following my example. This is the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I as... As I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What if at the end of the day, this whole discussion has nothing to do with my willpower and it has everything to do with God's power? What if God wants to produce in us restraint? Restraint that I don't have naturally. Restraint that only comes from him. And God will produce that in us when I, not when I try harder. Not when I work better at being better. But when I say, God, I'm going to taste and see that you are good. I'm going to surrender control to you. 
And I'm going to let you develop in me the fruit of the Spirit, including this little thing called self-control. And myself is going to be under control, not under my control, because I know what happens when it's under my control. I'm going to let myself be under your control. I don't think we realize the untapped power of God in us until we learn to surrender to God and he gives us the ability to say no to our urges and our desires. See, I think all of us know that our country's in trouble and needs change. But my friends, change doesn't begin at the White House. It begins at our house, at our cookouts on July 4th. And ultimately, little Debbie can be little again to us when God gets bigger and he becomes the object of our appetite and our desires and our cravings. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't try harder. Let's surrender to the one who can control us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for exposing in me a respectable sin. God, it is so easy to see little sins in me as just not a big deal. And it's so easy to me to look at others and say, they've got a problem, they've got a, they've got a change. God, you have convicted me in this area. And I confess that all too often I overindulge, I overconsume, and I joke about it, I laugh about it, I think it's not a big deal. God, thank you that you are willing to die for even my little sins. Forgive me for dressing them up and making them seem okay. God, I pray that today will be our Independence Day. Give us freedom from our urges. Teach us to live in obedience, even by the way we eat and drink. May, may your spirit within us produce the self-control we need to live in moderation, to be content and to be grateful. May we stop trying so hard and may we surrender to your control and may we enjoy the pleasures that you have given for us in moderation, even today. God, we love you so much. Thank you that we can trust you with control of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.